Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it on a Friday, Friday, November 17. Hello, everybody. Here we go. The Bill Press Show. How about it? Great to see you today. And we welcome you to the program. We start out here in Washington, D.C., in our nation's capital. We end up right alongside of you. Wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours on this uh, Friday morning, uh, whether you're watching or listening uh, or just kind of check it around we welcome you stay around as we bring you all the news of the day on many fronts and give you a chance to talk about it all yep we've got uh, another big uh, problem here with sexual harassment in washington dc this time a democrat member of the united states senate al franken from minnesota uh accused yesterday by a woman of uh, sexually harassing her when she was, uh, when he was not yet a senator on a USO tour back in 2006, uh, and uh, already Democrats uh, joining the demands for a Senate ethics investigation into those charges. Um, meanwhile, the Republicans in Alabama still rallying around Roy Moore. And Robert Menendez uh, getting off up in New Jersey, a hung jury, but he does now face a Senate ethics investigation uh, into those charges against him. Uh, And finally, didn't you know you'd hear this story sooner or later? Yes, there's been the first spill from the Keystone Pipeline. All of that to talk about, all of that you want to talk about, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We dive right in. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. You want to live longer? Get yourself a dog. That is the new study that was published in Scientific Reports. This is a study that they did of more than 3.4 million people, which is a huge sample size. And they point out that people who have dogs live longer. They have lower risk of death due to cardiovascular disease. In fact, specifically people who live alone who just have a dog with them, they have a 33% reduced risk of death and an 11% reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. Uh, so my column is out today. Peter, I know you're going to be tweeting it out Later soon. Later on, yes. Right? Uh, and I point out that every president, every president since Teddy Roosevelt has had a dog in the White House. Really? Yes. Republican and Democrat, except Donald Trump. Uh, He's not going to get one either, by the way. He doesn't need one because he has a lap dog. (laughs) Jefferson Beauregard Sessions (laughs) is his lap dog. Exactly. (laughs) Well, speaking of pets, earlier this week, uh, a woman got on a flight out of Connecticut (laughs) on a U.S. Airways flight. I love this story. She brought her emotional support pig. pig. 
I mean, emotional support pig. It was not just, I mean, it was a 70 pound pig, one of those little pot belly pigs that you can bring with you. So, one of the people who was on the flight says that. She got on the flight. She tied it to her armrest, <laughs> and then the pig became disruptive. Yes, yes. you don't say. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. Is that what pigs do? <laughs> Any what airline was this? U.S. Airways. You know what? U.S. Airways. They don't exist anymore, do they? Didn't sure, they? they do. Yeah, I thought somebody bought them. Anyhow, um, any any airline that would have let a pig on a plane. I mean, they ought to be shut down. Yeah. This is ridiculous. This is, I'm sorry. I know emotional pets, fine. A dog, okay, I can see. Even a cat, maybe. A, a pig, get out of here. One person, one man who was on the plane, a man by the name of Jonathan Skolnick, says, uh, I got on the plane and I saw a woman get on carrying a duffel bag. Until I looked yeah, closer, right. it mm-hmm. wasn't a duffel bag. No. It was a pig. Yeah. She did have it on a leash, but he said that the smell stunk up the whole plane. Do you know, did you see when they told her she had to take it off the plane? Yeah. So she picked it she up. She picked it up. Put it over her shoulder. Yeah. She carries, she's carrying this pig out over her shoulder. Yeah. Emotional support pig. <laughs> so there you go. It's wild, man. Do you think the pig sleeps in her bed? Probably. <laughs> I mean, look, if you bring your pet on your plane or your pig on your plane. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. First class. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump tweeting like mad about Al Franken. He still hasn't said one word about Roy Moore. <laughs> that tells you a lot, doesn't it? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. Yep, here we are on a Friday, Friday, November 17. Uh, it's a big day around the press household. It's our son Mark's birthday today. How about that? Happy, oh, nice. Happy birthday, Mark, out in Bend, Oregon. Yep, uh, and we uh, otherwise have just a regular show today. Happy birthday. Oh, isn't yeah. that nice? President Bush, thank you so much, Mr. Yeah, President. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Mark will be very pleased to know that. <laughs> President George <laughs> W. Bush. George, Bush got, George W. Bush got up so early. To wish happy him. birthday. <laughs> uh, anyhow, great to see you today. We've got lots to talk about here on the Bill Press Show. It is a Friday, Friday, November 17, They're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, our studio, our little headquarters right here on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building where Donald Trump made a big appearance yesterday uh, in front of House Republicans and said, I love you, now go out and vote. And they did. They voted on that uh, um, great big tax cut bill for big corporations and anybody making over $400,000 a year. The rest of us just get screwed, and we'll tell you uh, more about that as we move into the news of the day. Nice to see you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us also on Free Speech TV. And out in the greater Chicago area, hello, WCPT. You're in great form today, as is Indiana Talks uh, in the state of Indiana. Yes, indeed, our top stories were following. Yep, a Democrat now accused of sexual uh, misconduct, sexual uh, harassment. Uh, Senator Al Franken from Minnesota. Donald Trump, yes, deciding to take a pass on Roy Moore, remaining silent about Roy Moore. The House did pass its big tax cut bill yesterday. So did the Senate Finance Committee. 
and Robert Menendez. Uh, the jury, 10 to 2. There are 10 people wanted to acquit Robert Menendez. Two of them couldn't go that far. Ended up being a hung jury. He walks. Uh, and now he comes back to the Senate, where he, however, will face an ethics committee investigation. Uh, those are the big stories of the day. Don't forget, your comments, always welcome on Twitter. At BP Show, send us your comments on any of the news of the day. Great lineup of guests today. Herbert Jackson is with the record in New Jersey uh, and uh, has a lot to uh, tell us. We'll be here to talk about the uh, Robert Menendez trial, as well as Chris Christie's exit interview. Um, uh, Chris Christie on his way out uh, without a job. <laughs> Without a job on the radio, which he wanted. Without a job in the Trump administration, which he wanted. Uh, Alexi McCammon from Axios will be here as a friend of Bill for uh, our second hour. And she and I will be joined by Kevin Robillard from Politico. Yes, indeed, the news hit yesterday uh, with a thud here in Washington, D.C. Shocked everybody uh, in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein, uh, Kevin Spacey, Go down the list, uh, uh, Roy Moore, sexual harassment, sexual assault charges. Comes word from a radio talk show host, Leanne Tweeden, out in Los Angeles, that our Senator Al Franken uh, had um, uh, made unwanted and uh, unacceptable uh, uh, gestures toward her, sexual abuse toward her when they were on the USO tour back in 2006. That was, of course, before Al Franken was just then comedian, probably on the radio then at Air America. I don't know, but he was not, had not, had not yet run for a political office. I'm not saying that excuses it. That's just the time that we're talking about. Uh, and uh, Leanne Tweeden, who's a radio talk show host out in, uh, on KABC in Los Angeles, where I got my start on talk radio. Don't know her. Um, she talks about how he wrote a little skit where they had to, uh, they, 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 sort of the climax was that they kissed, uh, and he said, we have to practice this kiss. Leanne Tweeden tells us what happened then. We rehearsed the line, and I'm coming towards him, and he comes up and he grabs me, and he puts his hand behind my head, and he aggressively comes in, and he mashes his mouth up against mine, and he sticks his tongue in my mouth. And she said it reminded her the way he kept persisting on this. We've got to practice this. We've got to practice this of uh, that tape we heard about uh, Harvey Weinstein. And he just kept persisting. And it just reminded me of like the Harvey Weinstein tape that you heard the girl when she was wired up for the New York, um, the NYPD. And he just persistent and badgering and just relentless, you know. You know, what was really interesting about this, she, she spent a, a lot of time sort of explaining the whole situation, the whole scenario. <laughs> Uh, and she, what I thought was so telling is she had said from the very beginning that she was uncomfortable with this. And when he said, oh, we're going to kiss mm -hmm. in this skit, she said, okay, I'm going to sort of kiss your right cheek mm. and you kiss my right cheek and let's mm. make it look like we're like kissing. Like they do in the, uh, on stage. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Make it look like it's a yeah. stage kiss. Right. And she had already said she, uh, she didn't have any interest in kissing him on the mouth. And then when they were rehearsing and then he forced himself on her like that, 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 that was completely out of the blue. Uh, and then they're on their way back on the plane. We've seen this picture now, if you haven't, uh, just go online. It's everywhere 
where she she's wearing a a, a flak vest and a, and a helmet and falls asleep on the plane and Al Franken gets a photographer and says, "Oh, this is funny." And he is lunging at her breast with his hands uh, as she's asleep. Um, uh, and it, again, this grin on, on uh, Al Franken's face as if, isn't this funny? Um, she says, um, he thought it might be funny. It wasn't funny to her. He thought he could get away with it and that it was funny. And then it's funny that you can grab someone's breast while they're sleeping and just think that, hey, I can get away with this. Uh, yeah, no, you can't. You know, the, the, the bigger picture here is, and I was talking to a, a friend of mine yesterday, and she was saying, like, this is what women are trying to say. Like, they don't feel comfortable yeah, yeah, around men yeah, sometimes because right. this is, she was just trying, I mean, they're on a military tour, and she's just trying to sleep, and while she's sleeping, right. this is what happens. And she says that, that she had no idea that it had happened. No. Didn't have any idea it happened. Didn't know until she saw the photograph. She got the on disc the, she of, got all the the CD of all the photos and saw it on there. And yeah. there's this photo, right? Yeah. So, uh, to uh, so the react uh, uh, the, so the look disgusting behavior uh, cannot be cannot uh, uh, worthy of condemnation cannot be accepted in any way. No excuses for it. I think what's remarkable is the difference in the response on the part of Al Franken number one uh, and Democrats number two. Uh, Franken put out one statement. It wasn't quite strong enough. Put out a second statement, apologizing, say it was wrong. It's unacceptable behavior. Apologizing to her, to anybody else, everybody else who was on the tour, to everybody who ever worked for him in his Senate office, to his family, to everybody that he might have offended. So it was wrong. He accepted the fact that there should be a Senate ethics investigation uh, into his behavior, and he would face whatever consequences come out of that. I mean, compare that to Roy Moore, who still today denies ever doing anything improper and, of course, is accusing his accusers of being liars and just being paid by Democrats or whatever the hell they came up with on any particular day. Uh, also, compare the response of uh, the Democratic his Democratic colleagues. Senator Chuck Schumer, uh, Democratic leader, within minutes... Uh, said, this is wrong, this is unacceptable, we're sorry, he's, he's our good friend, but can't, 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 can't condone this, and uh, called for a Senate ethics investigation, as did Mitch McConnell. It took Mitch McConnell five or six days before he was willing to say that Roy Moore should step down. For five or six days, all he said was, if this is true, this is not good. You know, uh, on yeah. that... On, on- I, I mean, that, that that difference speaks volumes. It, it, it really does. And you yeah. didn't see one person, even though, I mean, we have the photo of what Al Franken did, but the account uh, uh, from uh, the accuser, it is essentially he said, she said, but nobody came out and said, well, if she's telling the truth, no. then no. we've got a problem. Or nobody said, hey, she's a former Playboy model, right? Right. So therefore, what do you expect? You can't believe her, all the kind of stuff, or... She's just a radio talk. No, 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 no. He did not. He did not attack her. No, the Democrats. Did. In, a, just, in addition to Chuck Schumer, again, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, the other senator from Minnesota, uh, Senator Patty Murray, uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, um, Congressman Keith Ellison, uh, all of all Democrats. There, uh, there was not one Democrat yesterday that stood up to say, "Well, you know, Al's a good guy. He just made a mistake. We have to let him go on this." Not one. 
And yet, even today, there are still a lot of leading Republicans who, uh, who, who are giving Roy Moore a pass, including the Alabama Republican Party, which met, as we pointed out, in executive session uh, without doing anything. Yesterday, they did release a statement saying, we support our buddy Roy Moore. What a difference between the reaction uh, to, to, to these two. And, of course, no bigger difference on the part of anybody than on the part of Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who tweeted out right away, uh, of course, he, in classic form, comes up with a nickname for Al, Al Frankenstein. Uh, and he says, oh, if that's the one photo, just think of where his hands are in photos two, three, four, five, six, because you know where Donald Trump's hands would have been. Yeah. He told us where his hands would have been because he's famous and he can get away with it. And Donald Trump has yet to tweet anything about Roy Moore, yet to condemn Roy Moore. And in fact, when he was asked about it yesterday um, with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, two things. First, to, uh, it said, what's the difference between uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and, I mean, I'm sorry, what's the difference between what Roy Moore did and what Donald Trump did? Well, I think the president has uh, certainly a lot more uh, insight into what he personally did or didn't do, and he spoke out about that directly during the campaign, and I don't have anything further to add beyond that. That doesn't make any sense at all. This doesn't say anything at all. And when asked whether or not uh, the president was going to condemn Roy Moore, uh, now that he's back from Asia and he promised to deal with it when he got back, Sarah Huckabee Sanders simply said, that the White House is going to let the people of Alabama decide uh, the fate of Roy Moore. The president will make no comment. As we pointed out yesterday, he really can't make any comment because Donald Trump is Roy Moore in spades. There are 25 women, I think it was, that have accused Donald Trump of sexual assault. And unlike Roy Moore, Donald Trump actually bragged about grabbing women by their genitals and getting away with it. Uh, And uh, he would... uh, Uh, Certainly uh, not be. uh, (laughs) It would be tough for him to get on his uh, pedestal and condemn Roy Moore for behavior that he has excelled in. You know, it's 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 a terrible time, I think, to just like see all these stories coming out and realizing that everything that we've heard from women over the years is is not only true, but worse than, you know, we could have possibly imagined. (laughs) But there's the, the, the very uh, important point is if we're going to be people who stand up against that type of behavior, we can't allow it to happen in our own group, right? So this Al Franken yeah, thing, yeah. if we're going to come yeah. out and we're going to say Donald Trump is bad no. and Roy Moore is bad, which they are, it's got to be very clear that we don't accept this type Absolutely. of behavior either. Absolutely. No, you cannot. That's that's where the Republicans are wrong on this. They do pick and choose where their moral outrage comes. And when it comes to Donald Trump, uh, what the serial sexual predator, worse than any we've ever seen, perhaps, what did they do about him? They elected him president of the United States, right? Times have changed, and I hope times have changed for good. Uh, as a result of this, I'll tell you today, Clarence Thomas today could never could never get confirmed for the Supreme Court of the United States. And you know what? Bill Clinton might not have might not get would would not have been elected today to as president of the United States with all the stories uh, about him. I'm not talking about Monica Lewinsky when he was president, uh, but all those other stories that we heard when he was when he was a candidate. 
So, yes, times have changed. Back in Alabama, meanwhile, uh, uh, Roy Moore yesterday reaffirming once again he is in it to stay. There have been comments about me taking a stand. Yes, I have taken a stand in the past. I'll take a stand in the future. And I'll quit standing when they lay me in that box and put me in the ground. Well, so he, we, we've said that. If there's one thing for sure, two things for sure. Number one, Roy Moore is guilty as sin. And number two, Roy Moore is not going to quit, which still leaves Republicans with this dilemma. What the hell do they do? They haven't figured it out yet. Here's the latest reported this morning is that now uh, Mitch McConnell and company are thinking of getting Luther Strange to resign, which would trigger another special election which would start the process all over again. Now, that is about as dramatic an event as you can get, but that shows how desperate they are to somehow shut down this process whereby Roy Moore could be elected uh, as the Senate, next senator from Alabama, or Doug Jones could win, a Democrat could win that Senate seat. Uh by the way, adding fuel to the fire, uh, Fox News just did a poll for the last five days. Fox News poll is out with Doug Jones at 50% and Roy Moore at 42%. This is the Fox News poll, okay? So can't blame this on CNN, right? Fox News poll. And this is on the wake of the one we told you about yesterday where the Senate Republican Campaign Committee, their poll that they did after this news broke, 51-39. So those basically, they're the same poll, right? One is 12, the other is eight points. Both of these Republican polls show Doug Jones ahead by eight to 12 points. Um, no wonder Republicans are thinking of something as desperate. Uh, it, you know, there's, there's never been anything, anything like I've never seen, never seen anything like this. That that to get the sitting senator to resign only so they could trigger another special election. The most uh, in the Fox News poll, I just got to mention this. The most disturbing part of that poll to me is, yeah, Roy Moore leads among white people, white men particularly. Not surprising. The 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 results among evangelicals. Okay. Here's the Christians. Here are the one with moral values. Evangelicals support Roy Moore 73 to 20%. They are such phony Christians. I mean, they don't stand. I mean, there's no morality. They don't believe in anything other than Republican Party. Their their faith has been totally turned into a branch of the political part of uh, the Republican Party, and that's all they are. It's disgusting, you know. Some days they'll all burn in hell for that. You know, it, it, it really is an amazing time to watch what's happening with <laughs> the religious right because yep. they still support Donald Trump, yeah. yeah, overwhelmingly. They still support a guy like Roy Moore, overwhelmingly. How quick they are to say, what's it going to take? Ralph Reed and all those guys on all the, with the Access Hollywood yeah. tape came out and they said, you know, nobody's perfect. Right. Nobody's right. perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We forgive him. We forgive him. Uh, he's a good man and he made a mistake. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I, like this, not one of them said that about Al Franken. Neither did any Democrats. Meanwhile, there's some other news. Yes, Robert, Robert Menendez, senator from New Jersey, has been on trial for the last, well, I don't know, four or five weeks up in uh, New Jersey. Uh, the jury failed to reach a verdict a couple of days ago. The judge said, hey, go home early today and come back tomorrow and go back at it. They did. Uh, they still couldn't come to a conclusion. Uh, and they ended up a hung jury. The judge dismissed them. That trial is over. Robert Menendez uh, yesterday uh, coming out and um, thanking members, uh, thanking members of the jury. I want to thank the jury, twelve New Jerseyans, who saw through the government's false claims and used their Jersey common sense to reject it. And Robert, <laughs> the, that, that Jersey common co- sense, Jersey man, don't you love it? Sense. Yeah. And Robert Menendez also chillingly sort of said, and I've been reading the news, and I know I know everybody who was digging my political grave, and I'm not going to forget it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm coming back. It was like uh, an episode of The Sopranos. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's not out of the woods yet. Uh, Mitch McConnell said, well, uh, the jury may have let you off, but we're not going to let you off. We're going to have an ethics investigation now uh, into this um, and and the federal federal prosecutors could, if they wanted to, uh, seek a new trial. Um, uh, in, I'm not uh, here to defend Robert Menendez, but I think that wasting the money to seek a new trial uh, after they had they took their best shot would be would be a mistake. Uh, we'll see what happens. The jury one juror told reporters that the vote in the jury room was ten to two to acquit. Uh, they, ten of them really said he should, shouldn't have been char- uh, shouldn't have been guilty on any char- any one of the charges. Uh, meanwhile, also in the House yesterday, Donald Trump uh, coming up and uh, giving a little rally pep rally for uh, for Republicans. Um, they may not even have needed it. Then the House Republicans uh, marched in and passed their big tax reform bill, two hundred and twenty seven to two hundred and five. I think it's worth remembering uh, when you see the consequences of this bill, uh, to, you know, who to blame it on. Not one Democrat, not one Democrat in the House voted for it, and 13 Republicans voted uh, against it. New York Times sort of sums it up uh, this, the, this morning. Um, it, 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 here's the headline for this, right? This is a tax cut for big corporations and the wealthiest of Americans. No matter how many times Donald Trump or Paul Ryan or Mitch McConnell say, we're doing this to help middle-class Americans, that is a big, fat lie, folks. It is big, fat lie. There are tax cuts in here for corporations, which last forever, for the wealthiest of Americans, which last forever. The rest of the tax cuts for individuals expire uh, and are just very... They're small to begin with and are temporary. Um, The Joint Committee on Taxation yesterday said Americans earning $30,000 or less, if you're in that group, you're going to see your taxes go up beginning in 2021. That's three years after this bill takes effect. You earn less than $30,000. You're in that category. Your taxes are going to go up. If you're earning 75000 or below, your taxes are going to go up in 2027. To give you another idea about the, the inequities in this bill and who it's targeted for, um, 
personal taxes in California and New York would go up by a combined total of $16 billion, while taxes in Texas and Florida, personal taxes, would go down by $30 billion. So this was basically sock it to the middle class, sock it to the blue states that voted for Hillary Clinton, uh, give a huge tax breaks to the corporations uh, and the wealthiest of Americans on the theory long discredited that if you put more money in the hands of the big corporations and the wealthy individuals, all of that will trickle down and mean uh, greater economic growth, higher wages, um, and better benefits, lower taxes for the middle class, which is never, never proven true. Uh, I believe this bill and, and the Senate Finance Committee bill um, passed the uh, 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 their own version of the bill yesterday. Um, this bill in the House, by the way, 400 pages long, not one public hearing on the entire bill. Impacts the entire American economy, not one public hearing. Uh, they just rammed it through again, 227 to 205. Uh, I believe... Uh, next year, when Republicans are forced to explain this bill, when Americans really know what's in the bill and not what the uh, Paul, Paul Ryan claims, uh, the Republicans are going to regret passing. Yeah, this but they bill. got that win, boy. They'll, they'll say, oh, we got the big win. Yeah, right. Uh, and finally, you knew this was going to happen, and it has. Keystone Pipeline. <laughs> All those environmentalists saying, Oh, man, you build this pipeline, you know there's going to be oil leaks and everybody said, no, 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 we know how to build pipelines today. They're safer. we got better technology. This Keystone Pipeline is never going to have a problem. Oh, yes, it did. In South Dakota yesterday, Brian Walsh is with the South Dakota Department of Natural Resources. The reported volume of the release at this time is about 5,000 barrels. Um, it occurred in an agricultural uh, area. Um, it's not very populated. Yeah, five. Yeah, okay. Well, that doesn't mean the environment's not right. affected. Uh, 210,000 gallons or 5,000 barrels of oil. Uh, and Brian Walsh has to admit this is going to create a lot of problems. It's a relatively large release. It, it will have a significant cleanup effort. Yep. I've gotten so tired of, of using the phrase, I hate to say I told you so this year. Yeah. When yeah. you look at everything that's happened with Trump and the Republicans, but God, I hate to tell you that we told you so. Because I mean, we—I mean, there were people who were you putting their lives on the line, going yeah. out there to protest. Yes. We said yes. over and over again, "This is one of the dangers of there, doing something like this." And like, here we are. There's, there is no such, no such thing as a pipeline that's not going to break and leak. No such thing. We said that about a Keystone pipeline. Uh, and um, there it is. All right, just getting started here on this Friday, November 17. Again, your comments always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show, uh, Herbert Jackson, with the record part of the USA Today Network, joining us next with all the latest from the New Jersey front. This is the Bill Press Show.
Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, here we are on a Friday, November 17. Uh, great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. It is The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, the good men and women of the firefighting departments all across this great land. We depend on them every day. They never let us down. They're there protecting American families on the front lines day in and day out under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. We certainly salute them, thank them for their good work, and thank them for their support of the program. You can check out uh, their, uh, all that they're up to at IAFF.org. Joining us in studio, it's a big day for New Jersey. I mean, uh, Robert Menendez yesterday it looked like they may have to uh, uh, have a special election to replace their senator if the trial went one way. It went the other way, and Robert Menendez, um, with a hung jury, walks out of the courtroom a free man and back to the United States Senate. Herb Jackson uh, is the Washington correspondent for the record from uh, up in northern New Jersey, That's right? That's right, yeah. All right. Great to see you, Herb. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Sure. Uh, were you surprised by this Menendez verdict? Uh, not exactly. I mean, it, it, it seemed clear to my colleagues who were covering the trial that the jury was getting kind of bored, uh, that the government and the whole case, we were waiting to see whether the government had actual evidence of the pro. They had the quid. They had the quo. Yeah. But where, <laughs> where was the, in, the, the actual connecting tissue that said Menendez did these things because he got those things? Right. And they just kept trying to say it was and jurors said this afterward, it was because of the timing of emails. There were no wiretaps. There was no witness that said I was in the room when he promised to do this. The basic and, charge was that he got so much money from this doctor friend of his, right? Doc, and, money, trips on his private on jet, his vacations in his home. The, his buddy, his co-defendant uh, used American Express points so Bob Menendez could stay in a Paris hotel suite. And then in exchange, Menendez... Uh, advocated on behalf of Dr. Melgan, who is this co-defendant from Florida, uh, it before the uh, Medicare uh, officials, you know, mm -hmm. HHS, and also before Homeland Security on a, a, a cargo screening contract in the Dominican Republic that he owned. There was a lot of things. And, he, of course, he asked the State Department to help Melgan's girlfriends get visas to visit him in Florida. <laughs> so it looked like a case, a real case of quid quo. It looked like it, but they didn't prove it. Uh, and the not jury to the, was... Not to... Yeah, not, were, the juror who came out uh, and spoke to our paper last mm -hmm. night said there were 10 to convict, 10 to acquit and two to, two to convict. Right. Uh, so now um, Mitch McConnell right away said, well, we're going to have an ethics. Well, first of all, in the trial, the feds, if they wanted to, could come back for with another trial, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. And they could, and that, that's always a possibility until they tell us there's not. Okay. Um, and then Mitch McConnell said, well, he may have, the jury may have acquitted, or he may have had a hung jury, but we're going to have an ethics investigation. If they were going to have an ethics investigation, why didn't they do it? Before the trial. Well, right? actually, the Ethics Committee did start to look at this in 2013. Uh, there's a specific issue of Menendez flying on his friend's private jet and not disclosing that as a gift on his personal disclosure. The government charged that as a crime, saying it was evidence of a corrupt bargain he was trying to hide. Yeah. But it is a violation of Senate rules to do that without permission from the Ethics Committee. And he did. there's no evidence he got permission. Um, so the, the Ethics Committee... We didn't know this at the time. There were reports that they were going to look into this, but their standard is to back off when justice oh, gets involved. So 
In mm-hmm. the spring of 2013, the feds raided Dr. Melgen's office in Florida. So that was pretty clear that there was an investigation going on. Yeah. So ethics pulled back. Last night, they put out a statement saying we're going to resume. All right. So what could they do? Uh, well, anything from a private reprimand that we'll never know about, uh, a public letter of admonishment. They could uh, censure him. Uh, they they could recommend expulsion, which would require the votes of 67 senators yeah. to expel him. So it's basically from a slap on the wrist all the way up to expulsion to the Senate. They have unlikely they would expel him from the Senate. First not, of all, not because... not yes, yeah, certainly based on what senators were telling me yesterday. Yeah. Senators didn't. Senators thinks he. Uh, Senator Feinstein said that he's been through hell and he should be allowed to just go on in peace now. Uh, and Senator Graham, uh, Lindsey Graham, actually went up and testified on Menendez, as a Menendez defense witness, and he said, right. you know, the government could try and try him again, but it's going to be real difficult given Supreme Court precedents that have come down since then, mm-hmm. namely the uh, the ruling that reversed the conviction of Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell and basically changed the definition of bribery in federal law. Right. Uh, you have to uh, admire Robert Menendez. Uh, he still had a lot of fight in him yesterday. After thanking members of the jury, uh, he added this word, quote, to those who were digging my political grave so that they could jump into my seat, I know who you are and I won't forget you. You got to love New Jersey. It, I, I could never cover anything but New Jersey. Is that a line out of The Sopranos? No, of course not. It's just a statement of fact. He knows who they are, and he's not going to forget. And there were people digging his political grave. Well, certainly there were people. Uh, former Senator Torricelli was at the Democratic convention like, working the room. Uh, there was You mean to run for that seat again? Wanted to be considered <laughs> uh, a potential candidate. Well, remind me, he went out on a cloud of Yes. Dis- in fact, he had been right? under investigation and the Justice Department decided not to charge him, turned the file over to the Ethics Committee, which issued a, a, a letter of admonishment in August of the year he was running for re-election, 2002. Oh, he dropped out because his polls started to tank right, and, and the what, Democrats yeah. in Washington didn't want to have to defend a seat in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. This is we got the same scenario coming up. Menendez is up on a, on the ballot next year. Do they want to defend a seat in New Jersey? Now, it's a little different here because Torricelli had been denying he had been receiving the gifts from the contributor. Here, Menendez doesn't deny that he's gotten these things. So maybe if he's admonished, it won't be as pain, painful. But his poll numbers really tanked in New Jersey. I think he's only at about 19 percent reelect right now and 55 percent don't reelect. Uh you know, is, is he going to run for re-election? All indications are he's not going anywhere. I mean, he, he had $3.5 million in the bank on uh, June 30th, I believe. Uh, so he certainly, and the Republican, there's no Republican candidate running right now. You know, you have a lot of these states where people are vying yeah. for, uh, you know, senators in states that Trump won. Uh, there, there's nobody actually out there right now running against Menendez. Um, maybe they're a little discouraged after the governor's race, right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And it's a tough state. I mean, New Jersey has not elected a Republican to the Senate since 1972. OK, you know, we just don't send Repu- Harrison Williams. Uh, no, no, Clifford Case. Clifford Case. Yeah. yeah. So he, he he lost a primary in 1978. The Republican then lost to Bill Bradley. And it's been, you know, ever since, no, you know, no Republicans just they come right. close. Sometimes they convince the NRSC to put some money into it and then they get burned. Well, having grown up in Delaware, you know, I sort of have an affection for New Jersey. We used to go across uh, to, 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 to the beaches in New Jersey, whatever, 
and uh, my my family actually came from Salem, New Jersey, okay. originally. Um, but here's my problem with New Jersey. Why don't you let people pump their own gas? Why should they? If somebody will do well, it for you. Well, because in 40, 48 Somebody's states, you can pump you. your own it, gas. It's cold. It's raining outside. I mean, seriously, it started as a safety law decades ago when cars first started to become Oregon popular. and New Jersey, the only two states. Yeah, my, my sisters in Vermont have a, a, a license plate that says Jersey girls don't pump gas, you know? <laughs> so it, what, what it is is that you, you, you get told if we just change this law, you'll save two cents a gallon. But there's a lot of senior citizens who don't. I mean, people. My, when, my, when we, my wife and I moved down here, I had to show my wife how to pump gas. You just don't learn how to do it. And if you're old, you don't want to have to learn. You want the guy to get out, especially if it's cold and raining. You're already paying for it. Yeah, but it does mean your gas costs more, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, no, but no one really believes that if they, if you have to do it yourself, you'll pay less. You know, you just believe that the, the oil companies will keep the money. That's that's part of what we believe. All right. Well, and I guess it's not going to change anyhow, but it's always just a pet peeve of mine. Now, um, if... Um, Robert I don't Min- think they're putting a lot of people in prison for pumping their own gas, you know. Uh, so uh, if you if you want to be a rogue, you know, let your freak flag well, fly. Well, they, they don't let you do it because a guy from the gas station will come out and tackle you, right? Maybe. maybe. No, it's happened to me. Okay. I mean, not being tackled, but, you know, I just... Because... I'm used to it, yeah. right? I mean, I pumped gas for a living as a teenager, right? I mean, not for a living, but that was my well, job. So you, you got something waiting a, for you in New Jersey. You got, you got skills in retirement. I could, right. Okay, now, uh, I want to ask about this other guy up there who's, uh, whose term is running out, too, and is not going to be running for re-election, did not run for re-election, could not run for re-election. What is Chris Christie going to do here? I almost feel sorry for the guy. He went so far out of his way, like a puppy dog standing alongside of Donald Trump at those. Remember, I'm embarrassing himself standing alongside of Donald Trump all through the campaign, head of the transition. Then they threw him out of that job. He's the one guy that ends up empty-handed out of Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. Well, he what sti- happened? He still gets to talk to the president all the time. I don't yeah, think I don't think deal. he'll be empty-handed much after June, January 16th when he's out of office. If, He'll he'll be somebody people want to talk to and get, but I don't know what his what his plans are. Do you think he'll? I mean, he'll end up oh, with a cabinet post. Or this something? is just facetious, but I do have this fantasy that Jeff Sessions becomes the senator from Alabama, Christie becomes attorney general, and then Christie retries Menendez. How about that one? No, uh, I, 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 I. Whoa! I, by the way, that's just facetious. Don't people, say anybody that we reported no, but that. People are talking about. I've been talking about Jeff Sessions doing a write-in campaign. Apparently, he said. A lot of people are asking him to do it, right. and he says, I don't want to go back to the Senate. Yeah, and I don't think Christie wants to be a senator. You know, uh, there was that fantasy that, you know, Menendez would yeah. have to resign yeah, and right. Christie would name himself. Right. Christie once told us, you know, he'd shoot himself in the head if he had to serve in the Senate. And when you see what senators have to go through every day. You, you must have covered him a long time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I covered him when he was a U.S. attorney. I want to ask so. a question about um, people always used to ask me about the late Robert Novak. God rest his soul, uh, is uh, is Novak as obnoxious off the air as he is on the air? Is Chris Christie as obnoxious uh, up front and personal as he is in public? People from New Jersey are obnoxious? <laughs> I, 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 I've no, not I encountered you, this. I ask you about no, Chris Christie. Chris Christie knows how to play the game. Chris Christie, he, you know, he's very skilled at pulling when you think he's going to push and pushing when you think he's going to pull. 
You know, you, you think you're going to get in for a fight with him, and suddenly he's accommodating, and you're off foot. You're always on the wrong foot dealing with him. But, you know, he does not put up with a whole lot, and sometimes that's, that's an actual technique. If he thinks he's going to be in the wrong, he yells first, and everybody is sort of pushed back for a second. Uh-huh. Well, um, the other jo- – yeah, in terms so of – he is a funny guy. I mean, everybody does like listening to him, and he plays – if you watch this Trenton press conferences, yeah. he plays everybody off each other. He starts, ah, Charlie, you don't know what you're talking about, Charlie, again. Yeah. Just a couple more questions, Charlie. I, I yeah. think Chris Christie genuinely would be a fun guy to get beers with and watch sports with, but that's it. Like that's as far as it well, goes. maybe we thought a fun guy. Um, if, if, so he figured. I think when he saw that his political career, future political career, may be a dead end, he thought, "Well, I could do. Hey, it's easy to just get on the radio and and talk and talk sports you. because <laughs> you know, look at me. Anybody, any idiot can do it. Or uh, talk about sports. So he had this great tryout on WFAN. Uh, how did that go? Here's a little clip. Well, thought we had it. Next time you want to sit on a beach that is closed to the entire world except you, yeah, you put your fat ass in a car and go hey. to one that's open to all your constituents. Uh, well, you know, not just you and yours. Interesting, Mike. You know what? That what's beach, that? that? What's beach, that, Gov? You know, Mike. <laughs> I love I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists in, in Montclair. Montclair. You know, you're a bully, you governor, are, you know, no, and I don't what? like bullies. You know what? <laughs> but that was a time when they closed the state beaches, and then Christie's out there with his family. They, they closed they closed the state park, and park. there's a beach. Yeah. There's the governor's beach house is in a state park. The rest of the beach was open because if you saw the long shot of the photo, oh. here's a big crowded beach just oh. north of the state park. Oh, I see. He's in the state park, right? and it was yeah. the state. But still, it was a pretty dumb move, right, to be out there with his family. And then they said he was out there soaking up the sun. He said, "No, no, no, he wasn't. He had a hat on." I. I <laughs> I would say that was just a great moment for journalism because, you know, my, co- my competitors at the Star-Ledger actually went up in a plane just to shoot beach photos for the 4th of July weekend and then oh. caught with a long lens him on there. So, Oh, that, this is really so... Classic. That was, yeah, lucky for them. And it became this meme. You know, I liked my favorite was that he was on the back of the Crosby, Stills, and Nash album on the couch, you know? Uh, so... <laughs> But yeah, he's left his mark on on New Jersey. What can we expect from uh, Phil Phil Murphy? Phil Murphy. Phil Murphy's going to be, you know, your liberal classic uh, governor in New Jersey. Uh, he's got a full Democratic legislature. Uh, he's talking about legalizing marijuana. Uh, you know, that's going to be another flashpoint, probably with just with the Justice Department. He's he's gotten you know a lot of praise from the unions that he's going to try and undo some of the things Christie did. Uh, He's looking at raising taxes on millionaires and things like that that the Democrats tried to do several times and Christie vetoed. Uh, so it's it's going to be an interesting time. I mean, the state's fiscal situation isn't good, the, not, you know, and frankly, the tax bill isn't probably going to be very good for New Jersey because mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of people's right. lives no. disrupted yeah. by it. I mean, we have horrible ta- property taxes in New Jersey and a pretty steep income tax and, you know, Depending on which bill you want to look at, you know, you're pro- probably going to end up, if you're middle class, ending up paying a lot more tax or at least some more tax. You're not going to get a big tax cut uh, in a lot of the Jersey suburbs. So that's why you had in yesterday in the House vote four of the five Republicans in the House vote against it. Uh, from New Jersey. From New Jersey, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so let's talk about that tax bill because I know you've been covering that, again, particularly for its impact on, on New Jersey. 
Uh, the House passed it yesterday, 227 to 205, I think it was, right? And uh, right. with 13 Republicans, including those from New Jersey, voting against it. Um, and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump say, well, this is all about tax cuts for the middle class, is mm-hmm. it? Well, there will be people in the middle class who get tax cuts. For I mean, how long? Well, I mean, that's a big question because there are things in the bill that expire. And if you look at the scores in the years when those things are supposed to expire, they the taxes go back up. However, Ryan and uh, Senator Hatch both, I believe, have, I know Ryan has said they're not going to expire. We'll extend them at the time. So what it really is is it's sort of a scam on Senate budgeting rules so that you cannot show the full cost of the bill to the deficit to try and stay within the rules that will keep Democrats from being able to filibuster. It's a lot of manipulation of numbers. Uh, but, you know, the fact of the matter is that the House bill has a $300 credit for each taxpayer and spouse. It sort of rep- compensates for losing the personal exemption. And it's supposed to expire in five years. Right. But I believe, Ryan, do you believe anyone in Congress is actually going to vote against a bill to keep those things in place and actually force a very simple $300 tax increase on every man and woman? But here's my, my question. Why should we believe um, that five years from now or 10 years from now, a Congress is going to continue these tax cuts? Because, I mean, cause they'll, because of the politics of it. It's going to be, you vote against this, you're raising taxes on everybody. Right. It's it's the same reason we got to the fiscal cliff. What was it? Twenty eleven. Uh, the you know the Republicans ended up voting to reinstate the the you know to for the Democratic bill on the taxes, but, be, because they didn't want to you know like force the tax increase on everybody. Right. Well, I, I, I'm not, and I'm not charging you with this because obviously yeah. we're we're both journalists here. But the uh, the argument that okay we're going to give this mammoth tax break to the corporations, which is permanent forever, forever, forever. And you're going to get a little tax break that's going to disappear, but don't worry because a future Congress wouldn't dare take it away from you, right? That is what's happening. That's, a, that's no sale as far as I'm concerned, right? It's just sort of like that old line, I'm, uh, I'm from the government, you know, I'm, here, I'm to here to help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that, that is what they're selling. I mean, and there, there are people even with the, the expiring provisions in the House bill <laughs> – uh, who will continue to have tax breaks. And and part of what I was talking about with my state, uh, you know, on state and local taxes, uh, you get a very impassioned argument from people like Mick Mulvaney, the uh, OMB director, that why should it matter if I live in this state or that state that your your income tax is lower than mine just because your state has higher taxes? They believe that. and And that's a fine argument to make if we're starting the country from scratch, except the fact of the matter that is, is that in New Jersey, when you go buy a house, your realtor will say, yes, the price is this, but you'll be able to write off that much. So you you either bid more for the house or you can afford more house. And now will the house be worth as much if you're trying to sell it later? Or is somebody going to only offer less because the tax benefit isn't there? Right. I mean, there are, they always say that this this uh, home mortgage deduction, this putting it at 500000 right? It's going to, that's just going to impact California and New York. There, there, there are parts of a lot of other states that that's going to impact. I would imagine New Jersey, particularly sure, sure. northern New Jersey, suburbs of New York, sure, is going to be hard hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean there there are there, there are people who are going to pay for that. I mean that's not in the Senate bill that that change. However, you know what's more important. I think you know you mentioned Christie in the beach. 
is the House bill uh, gets rid of the deduction entirely for second homes. You know, and there's a lot of people who have vacation houses, not big ones at the Jersey Shore, but they are still deducting any anything they owe there. I mean, there's a lot of people who have big ones too at the Jersey Shore. Yeah, don't yeah. let me go. Get, no. Don't get me wrong, but there's a there are not everybody's got the you know the mansion with it's the private beach, Newport, you know? Rhode Island, or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah, right. Uh, the breakers <laughs> who we're talking about. Um, the um, a New York Times reports this morning that just to show how this thing is targeted, um, New York. California and New Yorkers combined will see personal income taxes go up $16 billion uh, under this bill. Um, Florida and Texas will see personal taxes cut by $30 billion. Did you see that map last November? Which which states were red and which ones were blue? Yeah. I mean, part of that is, you know, first of all... The con- power in Congress has been shifting to the South and the West over the last couple decades already. This is a Southwest, major, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, we the, the seats have been getting lost in the Rust Belt in the Northeast, you know, because the population is growing faster in the South and, and there. This is a political power that that they now have. I mean, and they're 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 applying it. Now, I don't know if they're consciously doing it, applying it, but when you try to get a whip count and people just look at what does it mean for my district, that's how they're going to vote. They're going to say, oh, my state does okay. Um, I want to come back to New Jersey politics. Sure. Um, <laughs> because that's, that's been that's been your beat. So is New Jersey still like a machine state? There are a lot of counties uh, where the, the what we have is called the line in the primary. So in order to run in a primary, if you run in a primary, you are bracketed, you know, so next Next November, it'll be Bob Menendez at the top, your congressman right below that, county office, municipal office. And a lot of people go into the primary and vote the party line. So if you don't, and the party line is either set by the county chairman or the county committee, but it's basically the organization. If you don't, if you don't get the support of the county line and you run off the line, it's much harder to win a nomination, even if you're a Democrat in an all-Democrat county. So it does play into it. Uh, you know, we knew the gubernatorial primary was over. It was last fall when two of the other candidates dropped out because the other one was able to, Phil Murphy was able to lock up enough counties that it was impossible to beat him in the primary. Uh, so, so each county has the county line, right? right. And that- Almost all of them. There's a few that don't, but yeah. And, and, it, and it's a source of political power for the party organization. They get to pick. You know, right now there's a, you know, in one of the congressional races, the Republicans are kind of vulnerable in New Jersey next year. Um, there are five people lining up to run against this one congressman, Rodney Freelingheisen. And, you know, the district spans three parts of three different counties. There are people having a, a forum that I'm going to be moderating next, the week after Thanksgiving, for next spring's primary. They want to hear from the candidates the week after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So... People take their politics seriously in New Jersey, but their their concern, they've told me, is they don't want the party bosses picking a candidate and they're going to be stuck with so it. So the idea, of, if there are groups like um, Progressive Change Campaign Committee or Our Revolution or, you know, Emily's List, MoveOn.org, whatever, who want to, as part of the resistance, part of the revolution, uh, get some progressive candidates elected in New Jersey, it's going to be a lot tougher to crack the ballot. Well, I mean, the, that- the PCCC, I know, was very involved uh, two cycles ago when Congressman Rush Holt is in the Trenton area, re- retired. 
Uh, there was a three-way primary. There was people with organization support, and there was a, the progressive candidate that they backed. Yeah. And they, they did win there, but that was an open seat, and there were a lot of candidates in the field. So a, law, a heavy grassroots operation definitely paid off there. But yeah. you're right. It's much harder to change the establishment. All right. Well, thanks for uh, bringing a little whiff of New Jersey here to us this morning uh, on many, many fronts. Barbara Menendez, uh, Chris Christie, pumping gas and all the rest. Herb Jackson at the uh, record. Thanks so much, Herb. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. This is the Bill Press Show. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online, this is the Bill Press Show. It's a Friday. It's a Friday, November 17. Hello, good friends and neighbors. Great to see you today. Um, won't let you go into the weekend yet. Uh-uh, not yet. We've got another hour to go here before we do so with lots and lots to uh, talk about and lots you're going to want to comment on. Uh, it is the uh, Bill Press Show. Starting out here in Washington, D.C., and reaching you wherever you are in this great land of ours uh, on the radio, on television, with all the news of the day, a lot of big stories today. Yep, the House uh, did pass that uh, their tax cut bill yesterday, a bill, b- bill that will give a mammoth tax cut to the big corporations and to the wealthiest of Americans, a little middling tax cut for uh, people in the middle class, and uh, our tax cuts will disappear in anywhere from three to ten years. The rest of the tax cuts, of course, are permanent. Um, that happened by a vote of 227 to 205. Meanwhile, Robert Senator Robert Menendez gets free ride, um, jury in uh, New Jersey, uh, unable to reach a verdict. Uh, Menendez returns to the Senate, however, where he will face an ethics investigation. The first oil spill, probably the first of many, sadly, on the Keystone Pipeline. We told you it was not safe. We told you that would happen. And, of course, the biggest news of the day, um, a Democrat this time, Senator Al Franken from Minnesota, accused of sexual harassment uh, by a radio talk show host out in Los Angeles who traveled with him on a USO tour back in 2006. Uh, And Democrats quick to condemn Senator Franken's behavior and themselves call for an ethics investigation. To get through all of that news, we've got a good friend here to help us. Alexi McCammon from Axios. Hi, Alexi. Nice Hi. to see you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, and uh, Lexi and I will jump into it with you. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Texas, where the sheriff of Ford Bend County, just outside of Houston, uh-huh. put a message on Facebook saying that He has been notified of a truck that's been driving around town with a giant sticker in the back window that says F Trump and F you for voting for him, except it actually has the F word there. Mm. So Mm. he said that he wanted information on the truck so that he could arrest the driver of the truck. And as it turns out, the driver of the truck is a woman named Karen Fonseca, who used to work for the county jail. Well, someone called in with a tip and said that she had an outstanding warrant. So yesterday, she was arrested at her home in front of her family. And they're going to take a look at what they can charge her with 
that she already had a warrant, which was unspecified what it was well, for. Right. But they did say that they're going to take a look at adding charges for her obscene truck, which... I don't think you can charge her for um, a bumper sticker. I don't think you can either, but they're going to give it a shot. I mean, I've seen that word on the back of cars or trucks. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. It's like the woman who flipped off Trump's motorcade. Right. Yeah, exactly. She's now raised, I think, almost $100,000 on GoFundMe. Has she really? Yeah. Yeah. They dropped those charges. Mm -hmm. A real hero. But I think think she got fired, right? She did get fired. Oh, that's right. She got fired. Yeah, she got fired. Uh, the website Travelbird has put out a list of the friendliest cities in the world. Number one on the list, Bill. If you want to take a guess, the friendliest is oh, in the friendliest world, not just the United not States. Just the United States. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you this hint: in the top fifteen, none of them are in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I bet it's like Sydney, Australia. That is a very good guess. However, uh, not number one. It's number 15. Cindy Australia oh, is number oh, 15. Okay. Lexi, you have a guess? Um, I don't know. All right. I don't know. It's not one, Baghdad. It's not Baghdad. Number <laughs> one is Oslo, Norway. Oslo, okay. Norway. So oh. get your butt there if you want to meet the friendliest people in the world. That's <laughs> funny. I was just thinking in the southern hemisphere it would have to be. Right. You would think. You got number 15. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump quick yesterday to come out and condemn Al Franken. Called him Al Frankenstein. He still has yet to say one word about Roy Moore. <laughs> Maybe he just forgot about Roy Moore. Uh, I don't know. Some little diff- just some double standard there, it seems. Pretty glaring. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Thanks for joining us on this Friday, Friday, November 17. The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day, such as it is on this Friday, and there's lots to talk about. We're joining you, of course, on YouTube. Uh, thank you for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV as well, all part of the DirecTV network, and on the great WCPT the progressive voice of the greater Chicago area. We are your morning progressive uh, cup of coffee uh, and uh, happy to join you. Here in studio with us, Alexa McCammon is the deputy news editor of Axios, a great website. If you haven't discovered Axios yet, check out axios.com and sign up for all the uh, newsletters. newsletters. Yeah, Yeah. and we have a write-up on us in Wall Street Journal today. About our latest fundraise, twenty million dollars to expand the newsroom, which I'm very excited about. Oh my god! Yeah. What are you going to What are you going to do? Are you going to have like game rooms and nap rooms? Yeah. Well, I and, I'm uh, told I'm personally getting ten million of that. So of the, of you know, the twenty right? million. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, we're expanding the news team. We're going to develop an app pretty soon here. Um, some exciting things to come for Axios. So check us out. No, it's made great, great strides. Uh, Jim Vandehei, particularly, he's a brilliant, yeah, he brilliant is. manager and and leader. And did what he he and Mike Allen and others did at Politico. Now we're doing, a, we're kind of replicating or expanding, actually. Definitely. Uh, at uh, at Axios, uh, I, I highly recommend Mike Allen's newsletter. 
uh, every morning and uh, and afternoon. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jonathan Swan with his look ahead. Sneak peek. Sneak peek, that's what it's called. Yeah. uh, On Sunday evening as well. Um, So yesterday, a new name uh, hit hit us, a woman we hadn't heard from before, uh, Leanne Tweeden from KABC Radio in Los Angeles, which is where I got my start in um, talk radio, um, recounting and telling us about um, in this wave of sexual harassment we've seen, starting with the Harvey Weinstein thing, although there were incidents of it before, of course, but it's been this wave since then that this is the first time a major leading, well, certainly a Democratic politician has been named, Senator Al Franken. Here is Leanne uh, Tweeden talking about so they are on a USO tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a, just still a comedian long before he ran for office. This was 2006. She was a entertainment um, and sports talk, uh, talk show, a radio Broadcaster. personality. Um, and um, they were on this USO tour. There was a scene where um, in this, this comet com, 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 comedy scene that he had written that they end up kissing. And he said, we have to practice this kiss. She wasn't comfortable with that. He said, no, we have to practice this. And she takes it from there. We rehearsed the line, and I'm coming towards him. And he comes up, and he grabs me, and he puts his hand behind my head. And he aggressively comes in, and he mashes his mouth up against mine, and he sticks his tongue in my mouth. Mm. Uh, rather uncomfortable. Yeah, huh? right. Uh, and then the other point that she makes is, um, she says it kind of reminded her of but when she saw the Harvey Weinstein, heard the Harvey Weinstein tape, it kind of reminded her of how uh, Al Franken had been so aggressive. And then we see this picture, which was released, um, that on the plane on the way back, she's wearing a flak vest and a helmet, uh, and she falls, she's asleep. And Al Franken sees that, and he thinks, oh, this would be funny, and he gets a photographer to take this picture of her lunging at her breasts. doesn't look like he's touching, though. He's clearly lunging at her breasts with this smile on his face. Ha, 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 isn't this funny? She didn't find it so funny when she was later saw the CD and and discovered this photo. Here she is. He thought he could get away with it and that it was funny. And then it's funny that you can grab someone's breast while they're sleeping and just think that, hey, I can get away with this. Not funny. Right. Um, So the reaction, um, Alexi, was pretty swift. Right. From Republicans and Democrats. Yes. And Democrats came out instantly and immediately and sort of said, look, this isn't funny we need to have an ethics committee review of his behavior because of this information. Um, and it really showed sort of the unity of the party to handle these allegations, especially at a time when tensions are high, as you mentioned, because of Harvey Weinstein and others. CNN had a report last week in which they talked to more than 50 women who work on Capitol Hill about sexual assault and harassment that mm-hmm. they've experienced Jack, on Jackie Capitol Jackie Spear Hill. talked about. Right. And that was, uh, she was one of the reasons Leanne Tweeden said she came out as well after talking mm-hmm. with Jackie Spire. But um, yeah, Democrats came out and, you know, immediately said, this is not okay and we need to address it in the best way we can. Um, quite a contrast between how long it took before Republicans condemned Roy Moore. You know, it's for fascinating. five or six days, Mitch McConnell said, well, if true, right. 
this was not not right. good. I mean, Democrats didn't say, if true, we got to right. do something, right? Right. And that's what's so frustrating about it is, how, so like, I think now that we've seen how Democrats acted so quickly and responded so quickly and how Republicans waited and had these qualifications of if it's true, that is why this is becoming a partisan issue. Because Republicans are adding these qualifiers and conditions and saying, well, you know, if this is true, but we don't have all the evidence. But it's like, what evidence do you need if these women are going on the record? Um, so it's becoming a partisan issue, and that's what's really frustrating. Um, when the Roy Moore stuff broke, I was calling all of the Republicans listed as endorsers on Roy Moore's website oh, really? to find out like what they were going to do, whether or yeah. not they would rescind their information or their endorsement. Now, if you go to his website, it says uh, this list is being updated mm. on the page of endorsers, which I think is interesting. But one conversation in particular stood out to me, and it was Rep. Thomas Massey. And I called his his comms person called me after I sent an email and was like, well, you know, he's traveling today, so he's probably not going to put out a statement today and probably not tomorrow either. And I was like, well, do you understand that he's listed as an official endorser and like this doesn't look good? And he's like, yeah, like I said, not going to put out a statement. I don't know if he has yet. And that what stood out to me because I'm kind of like, if my name is attached to something like that, you should remedy your own personal brand and image as best you can. And so whether it's not releasing a statement in a timely manner or releasing a statement and saying, well, we'll wait to see more evidence. But like, what evidence do you need until you're condemning it? Right. Um, the uh, the biggest difference, of course, in, in terms of reactions um, is that of Donald Trump, who promised as soon as he got back from uh, Asia, he was going to take care of this. Roy. He was going to get on top of this Roy Moore thing. You know, it happened while I was over there. But when right. I go back, I'll talk about it. To this to this date, he has said nothing. And yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, actually, we're just going to leave it up to the people of Alabama. Right. 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 But immediately he was out there tweeting, tweeting about Al Franken. Right. right calling right. him Al Frankenstein. Stein, uh, and also saying, boy, if you see that one photo and where his hands are in photo number one. Right. Imagine where his hands were in photo number two, three, four, five, and six. Because, right. of course, Donald Trump knew exactly where his hands would have been in photos. And he has said as much on the record. Yeah. Which exactly. is also another layer to this that's confusing. But those tweets, again, go back to how Republicans are making this a partisan issue, which is just incredibly frustrating because instead of trying to remedy the situation or figure out how to make it better or really just condemn what I think should be easy to condemn, which is someone, you know, dating and uh, harassing younger women, right, teenagers. And assaulting, when they're in their 30s, at least and one assaulting, of them. Yeah. Right. They're making it a partisan issue. And Donald Trump... I mean, it's it's like how we've seen him respond to things like Kim Jong-un and other foreign terror threats and anyone who he disagrees with. He acts in a petty way that relies on nickname calling and and, you know, speculating about what could be worse. But it's that's making a partisan issue. And also a, the, the conversation is like, well, what happened when Donald Trump was accused of similar things? Right. Uh, he yeah, could he easily was elected off, president right? of the United States. Right. And it just is like, I, I mean... It's so fascinating to think about that time. And Kellyanne Conway brought it up yesterday, which I thought was interesting. On CNN, she said, well, if you all remember, I'm the one who brought up the conversation of sexual harassment on Capitol Hill and in Congress a year ago on October 9th. And October 9th last year was two days after the Access Hollywood tape came out. And it's like, we're still not talking about Donald Trump's allegations and he's still not taking it seriously. Because instead, he's pointing the finger at Democrats and saying, well, what else could you have done? 
Yeah, it seems to me it's pretty pretty easy to say what that sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual abuse, whatever level it is, is wrong. Men taking advantage of their position of power to prey on women is wrong. Right. Wrong for Roy Moore, wrong for Al Franken. Boom. Why can't Donald Trump go there? Right. right? Well, especially because he— You know why? Because he has his own history. Right. Right. But then it's like— but that, but on the same token, then well, how could he even say something comfortably about Al Franken? When I read those tweets, I was like, you have a, a tape on the record of you talking about bragging about assaulting women. Grabbing them by the genitals right. and getting away with it because I'm famous. Right. And, and we'll remember then how Republicans were, you know, quick to either defend him or sort of give these half-hearted... Um, locker room talk. It was just exactly. Room talk. And then, you know, those who ended up rescinding their endorsements... They eventually reendorsed him and supported him. So it's sort of like, how seriously are people taking it on the right if they're just acting flippantly? Um, and yeah, I mean, Donald Trump, look, if Roy Moore joins the Senate, that's terrible for Republicans. It should also be terrible for Donald Trump, who is the president and essentially the leader of Republicans, right, as a Republican. But You'd also think he'd be quick to denounce Roy Moore's behavior because he never even supported him throughout the primary. He could have just been like, you know what? I wanted Luther Strange. Luther Strange didn't win. I still don't support Roy Moore. Also, his behavior is bad. And that's it. But yeah. he's not. And and uh, it's just frustrating. If he can find the time to tweet about Al Franken. He could find the time. Yeah. He right. could find the time to tweet about Roy Moore. Right. 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 That's a, that, that, to me, I think is the most telling oh, uh, right. sign that he's just... You know, BSing about this whole thing. I mean, it's so right. easy to say what Roy Moore did was wrong, what Al Franken did was wrong. Right, Boom. right, right. And here's the legislation that's being introduced to right. address these issues yeah. among lawmakers, yeah. right? Kirsten Gillibrand, Paul Ryan, even like folks on both sides of the aisle are trying to make legislation so that it's easier to report these things, it's easier to deal with these things, and to hopefully prevent it. Donald Trump could say, look, it's both for everyone, or wrong for everyone, here's what we're going to do to solve it, and right. he's not. Now, um, so we're talking, again, Alexa McCammon with us is a friend of Bill from Axios, axios.com. Um, so times have certainly changed. Times have, are, are changing, and are changing fast, particularly on this issue. This problem's been around for a long time, but it's also been people looking the other way or swept under the rug or not taking that seriously. That all changed with Harvey Weinstein as well, maybe you know, a little bit with Roger Ailes and then Bill O'Reilly, right. but really with Harvey and you know, Kevin Spacey and Mark Halperin and you go down the list, right? Right. Um, would, could Clarence Thomas be confirmed to the Supreme Court today oh, in his history? That's a good question. Uh, no, I would say no. Absolutely not. I, I mean, right. yeah. especially with Donald Trump as president. Uh, also, you know, just like everything about him, I think no. I mean, if that testimony from Anita Hill came out today in front Absolutely of a Senate not. committee, that would be a killer. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, um, you know, it's a hypothetical, right? Um, but I think no matter who it is, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing that we would hopefully be more discerning yeah, and look yeah. into these things if it were to come to light today and he was, you know, trying to assume a position on the Supreme Court. I, I would hope we would be more discerning about something like that. Um, I now, mean, you know, senators, they allowed Anita Hill to testify. Right. But they basically ignored what she said. Right. And some of them even 
yeah. accused her of not telling the truth right. and lying and making right. it up or being too whatever sensitive. I remember Arne Hatch in particular was right. ridiculing her at the time. Right. Well, and that's what, um, you know, although I think yeah. we are, times have changed, I think we're still seeing those uh, uh, excuses come from Roy Moore himself, right? Saying, oh, sure. well, why are they coming forward 40 years later? What took you right. so long? All right. Then... Uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand yesterday said something um, rather stunning, I thought. that She said, in light of what we're talking about today and this uh, increased sensitivity to this sexual abuse, that Democrats should have demanded that Bill Clinton resign uh, in the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Right. Um, I have to say, I think she's wrong because... I think you can make a distinction between consensual sex and non. And no, Monica Lewinsky never, never claimed that what has happened between her and Bill Clinton right. was not consensual. Right. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I think that's a fair point to. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to. to make. You don't have to agree. We right. can disagree. No, no, but no, no. Of course, it just seems think, to me, you know, right, right. There are, you know, there are differences. Right. For sure. I mean, I think the optics are still there, and the the power imbalance is still there. I'm not there, saying what he did sure. was right either. Right. It was wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think I think that's the thing, too, is like it it speaks to this power imbalance that will probably never go away. Right. Of men and power being able to sort of coerce women and women into doing things. And, you know, like you said, Monica Lewinsky never said that it was non-consensual. But I think like if that happened today, especially if it happened today, it would it would just. uh, Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what would happen. But um, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I think things are changing a lot, like you said. And I think that if any of well, those things happened today, it, there would be a totally different response now. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but I do think that, yes, there's a difference between consensual and non-consensual. Uh, and we should focus uh, on that. Yeah, I was on um, CNN the other day, and there was a woman reporter, I forget her name now, from the Washington Post, who's been who's been reporting on these stories and uh, on this on this issue. And the question to her was, what will it take to really bring about some change in the Congress. And her response was, and this was after Jackie Spear and a couple of others had said there were women, I mean, men who've harassed them even on the floor of the House inappropriately, touched them inappropriately. And this reporter said, what's going to take is naming names. Hmm. For them, for women to say, oh, this happens all over this building and has for a long time is one thing. To name names is another Right. And that's what happened, not from a staffer on the Hill, but from this radio talk show host with Al Franken yesterday. Right. Um, so we can expect there'll be other names named. I think so, for think? sure. I mean, we've already seen how the floodgates have opened after Weinstein, and I think that Franken sort of sets a new precedent for people to feel comfortable coming forward and naming names of senators and lawmakers at every level. Um, I mean— Unfortunately, I think this is something that happens at every level, right? From even men who are running for office, I personally have seen how they act around women in a way that is that I would never want them serving in office because of that. And it does take naming names, and it's really hard to do that. And I think Leanne Tweeden is incredibly brave to do that. And I think that seeing how women are becoming more confident and courageous and comfortable in naming names when they see other women do it will only lead to more men being named, which... I agree, is maybe the only way to actually enact change, right? Otherwise, it's sort of this nebulous, oh, this is happening, but how do we know it's really happening if you're not going on the record? Unfortunately, um, we can't just assume 
that it's true unless we know. And also you can't get rid of the toxins unless you know mm -hmm. who it is. Yeah. So um, this, uh, I, and I, which I think speaks well for the chances of this legislation uh, that uh, um, Gillibrand. Gillibrand and mm -hmm. Jackie Speer have introduced. Yes. Uh, it, it seems to me that that should, chances, chances are good for that to, to right. pass. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah, more comprehensive. Real big step forward. Right. What they're doing is more comprehensive. It's not just saying, okay, well, we need to make it mandatory for members to have anti-sexual harassment training. It's overhauling the office that would actually review these complaints uh, of sexual misconduct and harassment, which I think is important because I think whoever is in that office now maybe has been operating under a different set of rules. Um, and it's really trying to overhaul the entire system, which I think is a really important step forward because... You can sit through anti-harassment training and sort of not change your mind or your behavior. But I think really uprooting the system from the top down is the way to do it. Isn't it, isn't it striking that Paul Ryan this week said, now we're, because of all this, this, this stuff coming out, we're going to have sexual harassment training in, in, the, in, in the Congress. There's been sexual harassment training in American businesses right. for, I don't know, decades. Right. Right. I had to go through it, I'm pretty sure, when I worked in a retail store in high school. <laughs> like, I'm, and that was nothing, you know? I, I just, I think it's surprising. And I don't think a lot of people knew that lawmakers weren't required to go through this anti-sexual harassment training um, until all this started coming out. And also there was something like you have to wait a period of days, 30 days, I think, or 60 days before making a formal complaint, which is sort of like... The whole, the whole thing is, is, is tilted against the victims. Right, right. The Which, process today. Yes, yes, exactly. Which reminds me of this New York Times article I read just before I came in this morning about Roy Moore. They, they reviewed 20 cases that he uh, worked on when he was in the Alabama Supreme Court that dealt with sexual misconduct. And 13 times out of those 20 cases, he sided with the men who were being accused, which was at a higher rate than all of his colleagues, um, which I think is interesting to note. He often sided with the men being accused rather than the I think it's very interesting accusing. to note. He probably said, <clears throat> hey, <laughs> identify with this guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, it's just, it's a, a really good New York Times article. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Right. So it, I hate to uh, switch from uh, something so vital and so important to something so meaningless as tax cuts. But uh, mm. so uh, Republicans got their way yesterday, right? Right. They, 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 they did. said they needed a big win before the end of the year. <laughs> Donald Trump said, I want that thing out of the House by Thanksgiving, and uh, lo and behold, uh, Paul, Paul Ryan uh, delivered. Are they going to regret down the road this tax cut for the wealthiest of Americans and big corporations, or do you think it's a big win for them in 2018? I think I I think that the longer time goes on, the more Americans will know about how it actually affects them, which is you know, by and large, not in beneficial ways for the average American. For most Americans, And especially yeah. for the folks who will be voting for them in 2018. So I think that that could lead to some regret for sure. I think on the surface level and initially, they're happy because, like you said, they got it done by Thanksgiving, which is what they wanted. Um, but I do think that people will uh, wake up more and more and learn more and more about what this plan actually does for them, which is not going to be beneficial um, and we even saw that in a lot of sort of exit polls after the special elections last Tuesday, the Tuesday before. You know, I heard from a ton of Democratic groups, Republican groups the day after that voters were not voting for candidates based on their uh, push of tax cuts plan. They were not interested in that. They even thought that it was not beneficial for them then. So I think we'll only continue to see that more. 
Right. I, I think it was yesterday morning uh, a, a newsletter where Mike Allen pointed out that you know that the the, the there's a, um, a kind of a shell game here that Republicans are playing with this bill that the biggest tax cut by far the 80 percent or plus go to the wealthiest of Americans and the per, and the big corporations. Those are permanent tax cuts forever and ever and ever. And then there's little crumbs thrown to the middle class, which expire right. in three to five years or maybe even 10 years. Right. Uh, and they're, sa- they're saying, well, yeah, but you can be sure that some future Congress won't dare take those tax cuts away from you. But in this plan, they expire. Right. So they're basically saying, yeah, we'll give you a tax, a, te- a, a mini temporary tax cut while we give the corporations particularly a permanent tax cut. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, they're spinning it I don't know why anybody would buy that or, or believe it. Right. Well, I think but, that's why it's so important for, you know, us and the media and other folks to really explain, like, what this tax cut plan means and who for benefits whom it will and benefit. who doesn't. Right, exactly, because they're going to continue to spin it in a way that is going to get them votes, they hope, in 2018. But you're right. It does throw these crumbs to the middle class, and that's unfair for them to say that the middle class will benefit by and large. It also it also kind of reminds us, uh, I was thinking about this yesterday, of uh, the fact that we've said it so often, but elections do have consequences, and there's no doubt that the one thing Republicans do believe in are tax cuts for the wealthiest of Americans on the th- and, and big corporations on the theory that if you help them at the very, very top, it's everybody's going to benefit because it's all going to trickle down and we'll all have higher wages and better benefits and right. lower taxes and a b- more booming economy and all that stuff. And it's right. never happened before. And it ain't going to happen now. Right. Right. And I think we can expect to see Democrats when they're campaigning pointing that out, saying that their Republican opponents support this plan, which is going to be wholly unhelpful to, you know, middle class voters. Um, but I, but again, I do think that voters are not sort of really attracted to this tax cuts plan as is. And, the, and when they learn that it, you know, cuts taxes for the wealthy and for corporations, they're even more turned off by it. And I think that that's something that they're not really going to be drawn to Republicans for in 2018. So they're going to have to find another win yeah. to get those votes. So, you know, the, uh, the news is they got the, uh, the maybe the good news is they got their bill, but the bad news is they got their bill because right. I think it's going to be OK. Yeah, they got their bill. Now they can say, oh, you know, we may not have repealed Obamacare, but damn it, we passed our tax cuts. Yeah. Right. And the more people look at it, more people are going to see, yeah, well, it's not a tax cut for me. Alexa right. McCammon stays with us here as a friend of Bill. We're going to be joined by Kevin um, Robiar from Politico coming up next. Uh, a big win, a sort of under the radar in Oklahoma this week, which uh, maybe shows that uh, this blue wave we saw a couple of Tuesdays ago uh, is really something real uh, happening all over the country. We'll get into the politics of the moment with Alexi and Kevin Robiar coming up next. Stay with us. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. 
on a Friday, November 17. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, welcome back. It is the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. And joining you all across this great land of ours with the uh, news of the day. We're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Check out their website at usw.org. We thank them for the good work and for their uh, support of the program. Alexa McCammon from Axios here as a friend of Bill this entire hour. Uh, joined, We are joined now in studio from Politico uh, by political reporter uh, covering the Senate, Governor, and House races, Kevin Robillard. Hi, Kevin. Great to be here. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, would you say that um, Al Franken's uh, potential candidacy for president uh, ended yesterday? Yeah, that'd be a very good way to sum up the immediate political impact of what happened the second that essay was posted. Any chances Al Franken had of becoming president, at least in 2020, disappeared. And, you know, it's unclear if Al Franken was even really considering running for president right, right. before this came up. So, um, But with the book and with, you know, kind of a higher profile in the Senate, uh, people were talking about it. Which... Yeah, he was definitely getting floated. Uh, one other obstacle for Franken was going to be that Amy Klobuchar, who is the uh, other senator yes, from Minnesota, yes. um, has probably taken even a few more steps towards running for president. She's been showing up in Iowa a lot, which is pretty easy for a politician from Minnesota. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, this was going to be a very crowded Democratic presidential field. And Franken, just by virtue of his celebrity, would have been someone who would have been able to cut through it and definitely sort of get more media attention than some of these governors and senators who are looking at this race. Right. So he would have had that leg up had he decided to get in, I, but I, I think those I did notice, Alexi, that uh, Senator Klobuchar was uh, one of the first to say, we need an ethics investigation of it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. She's pushing her way even closer to the top, as Kevin was saying, yeah. which I think is smart right. for her. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Franken, no. 2020, I think, is totally out for him now. And I don't think uh, Senator Klobuchar's motivation in saying that was to get somebody out of the right, way. But right. I, I, I did smile when I saw that. I thought, <laughs> well, there's, there's another another reality going there. Right. Um, so I want to ask you about, so Al Franken, Roy Moore. But, but we haven't talked, Alexi and I were talking about a lot about Al Franken and Roy Moore in the, in the last half hour. But we didn't talk about focusing on the electability of Roy Moore. Uh, Fox News the latest poll mm-hmm. from uh, from Alabama. This is Fox News uh, coming out this morning or late yesterday. Uh, 50 for Doug Jones, 42 for Roy Moore, mm-hmm. an eight-point advantage, which is on the heels of the National Republican Senate Campaign Committee poll, yep. which showed 51 for um, Roy Moore and 39 no, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Doug Jones, 39 for yep. Roy Moore. A 12-point advantage or an 8-point advantage, both from Republican-leaning, paid-for yeah. polls. I will say that Fox so, News actually, before this, was more bull- – their polling had been pretty bullish for Jones anyway. They released a poll showing it tied when a lot of other people still had more yes, up. Yes. So the movement there isn't as dramatic as it might seem. But the thing is, consistently in polls, even ones that still have more ahead, Jones is gaining. Which that's sort of the best marker we can have to show movement, which is, you know, even if no matter what people are assuming the electorate looks like or 
you know, what people's priors are. They're all showing movement for Jones. And I think that's the best sign that this guy has a chance. The other thing that Jones has to be really encouraged by in both this Fox News poll and this NRSC poll, he's hitting 50 in both polls, which means he can actually get over the hump. There's not a thing where he's stuck at like 47 percent and there's just a bunch of undecided Republican leading voters who are ultimately going to vote for the Republican. It means he's getting a majority of the electorate. That has to be very encouraging for him. So, Alexi, it looks like maybe the best thing that national Democrats can do is just stay out of the way. Right. And that's what they have been doing. Um, I was talking to a pollster in Alabama actually like a week before this Roy Moore stuff happened. And he was sort of saying at that time, like, look, Doug Jones probably isn't going to win. But the best thing he can probably isn't going to win. Uh But and he was a Democratic pollster. But he was like, the best thing he can do is paint uh, Roy Moore as this sort of villain opponent, which he I think by and large already was viewed that way. Um, And also not make this a sort of you know, Democrats versus Trump or D.C. focus, like really keep his campaigning uh, localized and focused on Alabama. And I think we're still seeing that now in the way that national Democrats and, you know, Democratic senators are not really trying to uh, penetrate this race and make it about them. They're really sort of letting Doug Jones run as an Alabamian and not as a D.C. or future D.C. person. So he could win. Yeah, he could definitely win. And to, to build off a little bit of what Lexi was just saying, there's no reason for National Democrats to get involved right here. The reason the DSCC or the DCCC would get in and start spending in a race is if the Democratic candidate needs the help. Right, right. now, Jones is outspending more something like 10 or 11 to 1 on television and is gaining or leading in the polls. He doesn't need the DSCC's help to win this race. Are he they just, pumping money in there? I mean, Where's, National Democrats, um, the DSCC is sending out fundraising emails for him. Um, you saw the night of the scandal broke uh, with more um, Elizabeth Warren, Gillibrand, um, Chris Murphy, sort of all the Democrats' best online fundraisers sent out uh, fundraising pitches for him. So they're sending money to him, mm-hmm. but they're not going up with you know their own television ads. They're not oh, necessarily yeah. going down there and campaigning for him. Right. Um, the so, so with all the possible scenarios mm-hmm. they're talking about, a writing campaign for mm-hmm. Luther Strange, a writing campaign for Jeff Sessions, uh, extending the uh, delaying the election, mm-hmm. uh, ejecting him from the Senate. Mm-hmm. One other scenario is he loses. Yeah, and right, right, <laughs> right. A possible scenario. Yeah, right. right now that might honestly be the most likely scenario. Um, you know, Jones at this point, based on the polling, has probably a 50-50 shot or slightly better to win this race. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Alexei, the, the, I forget where I read it this morning in the Post or the New York Times, um, or maybe on Axios, um, or maybe in Politico. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I don't want to favor anybody here. But that, that the Republicans are so desperate that they're actually considering this bizarre scenario whereby Mitch McConnell would convince Luther Strange to resign now, thereby triggering another special election, which in effect would cancel out the election that's now underway, mm-hmm. and we'd jump into another special election. <laughs> that's insane. I haven't read that yet, but um, there was a report, I think, right after this Roy Moore stuff broke that Republicans were scrambling, sending text messages and emails and phone calls to everyone they could to try to figure out all these different options, right? Write-in candidates for two different folks, uh, Adderholt and Luther Strange, um, you know, asking 
them to delay the election again, which it was already delayed once. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that they're really trying to figure out anything they can to sort of stop Roy Moore from joining the Senate, obviously. Um, but as Kevin said earlier, he could lose. And I think that would be the easiest way for everyone involved who doesn't want Roy Moore to win to sort of handle this, because it is almost certain that his campaign would try to uh, file a lawsuit against mm-hmm. them for doing any of these things. And, yeah, and I yeah. think that would just drag it out even mm-hmm. more. Yeah, there, there's two big problems with that plan. The first of which being military ballots have already been sent out. There are people right. who have already voted in this election. Right. Yeah. So, so. it's <laughs> like the legality of that maneuver, which other people have looked it up, and nothing like this has ever happened. What's no, happened before right. is appointed senators have died, and that hasn't triggered a new special election. So they're not clear why Strange resigning would. Uh-huh. So it's right. a questionable mover legally. The other problem here is, they need Luther Strange in the Senate if they want to pass tax reform. Right. <laughs> right. They have both Susan Collins and Ron Johnson saying no. They have a bunch of other people who Corker. are sort of on the fence. Corker, um, I'm sure, you know, Lisa Murkowski, a whole bunch of Senate moderates who they have to keep in, keep in check. And they need Luther Strange's vote. And there's not really like this time period. It's not clear if they'll like the timing will work out for Strange to resign before tax reform passes. Right. Now, the strangest part, I've got to ask you about this, to me, of the, I mean, the most disturbing part, to me, of the Fox News poll is, and look down among white men, obviously Roy Moore's got a huge advantage, mm-hmm. among evangelicals, these are the people with the moral backbone, moral fiber, right, the moral leaders of Alabama, uh, they support Roy Moore by a margin of 73 to 20. Mm-hmm. God. Yesterday, all the I think it was yesterday, right? All of those pastors were out sort of stumping for Roy Moore before, um, or it was during a press conference with Roy Moore, but I don't even know if he spoke for that long. And he also said at the beginning, like, I'm not taking any questions about the scandal. And there were so many pastors out there saying, like, we still support Roy Moore. Like, he is being stripped of this presumption of innocence, and that's terrible. And the the press conference ended with one woman saying, like, well, Looks like you all got the most church you've had in a long time today. Goodbye. Like it was very contentious, and mm-hmm. they're they're really standing by him. Um, and I and I mean that could spill over to evangelical voters there, as well, you're seeing, right? It is. It is. Yeah. But what's that all about? I mean, I mean, really? Like, a this is Moore's political base. This is how right. he's won elections forever. Is um, his Christian is base. the Christian right? Um, which is, includes evangelicals, some non-evangelicals, but that's always been his political base. So just from that level, it makes sense that these people are standing by him. The other thing is, look, there's been polling really uh, – it started even a little bit before Trump. Um, evangelicals who are sort of one of the loudest groups insisting that Bill Clinton resign uh, during his scandals, sex scandals in the 90s, oh, have yeah. slowly become much more accepting of sort of – bad behavior from their politicians. Well, look at so Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald Trump being the most obvious mm-hmm. example here. But there's been a lot of polling showing that they're, when you ask, you know, how important is it for a candidate, I'm going to mess up the wording of these questions, but, you know, to have strong personal right. moral character, uh, they've really no longer find it that important. I'd be, I, I'd be willing to bet you <laughs> that if you ask that question about Al Franken, it would be the flip. Yeah, 20% right. for Al Franken yeah. and 73 against it from yeah. the same evangelicals. Yeah, I mean, look, partisan motivated reasoning is a thing, like, right. and it affects evangelicals as much as it affects the rest of us. So they've really become, 
and have been for a long time, I think, a branch of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. led by Ralph Reed or Jerry yeah. Falwell at the time. And mm-hmm. and I think and I think look, you're seeing this like you said the the most common group of people supporting him are still like these very influential pastors. Okay. Right. So one election that uh, one one event political event that didn't get that much attention this week is out in uh Oklahoma. Uh a, a young woman 26 years old happens to be a lesbian was elected to the Oklahoma State Senate. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a progressive Democrat, a mm-hmm. Bernie supporter, mm-hmm. uh, elected in a district, a red district that Donald Trump carried by double digits mm-hmm. uh, last year. This is the fourth uh, legislative seat in Oklahoma that's been flipped this mm-hmm. year from Republican to Democrat. Mm-hmm. What's going on? I mean, I think the one thing to keep in mind about all these Democrats have won a lot of these state legislative special elections this year. The one thing we in have to Georgia, keep in, Georgia, Virginia, Virginia. Uh, we'll I mean, Virginia, Virginia wasn't a yeah. special election, but they won. Yeah, right. They won big there. There's been a number in New Hampshire that they've won, um, including some Republican leaning ones there. These are all very, very low turnout elections. So really what they are perhaps best is just expression of the natural political environment. And what that's showing is right now Democrats are more fired up and more likely to show up and vote than Republicans. And that, you know, that gets you pretty far in any type and, you know, any type of election. But in these special elections, it's just a huge advantage. That that in itself, Lexi, is a big difference. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Because for a long time, the energy was on the Tea Party side of the equation. Right. They're the ones who are putting up their candidates and showing up and really fired up. Right. And I think it is important to note, like Kevin said, that these have been pretty low turnout, um, but that hasn't stopped Democratic groups from being really pumped about what they hope this means for the midterms when Mm -hmm. turnout is usually low. Mm -hmm. They are hoping that, you know, this means that Democrats will continue to turn out in the midterms and and really come out strong. Um, But I think another thing, I don't know about this Oklahoma state Senate race necessarily, but um, the Tuesday elections from last week or the week before, there are a lot of groups that are really focused on digital advertising that are putting a lot of money into these local races, like Forward Majority, Priorities USA, Acronym. They're putting tons of money into these races at the local level, which typically Democratic groups haven't been good at and Republican groups have been. And I think we're starting to see the fruits of their labor in that way. Um, And I think that's certainly something they're going to use to continue in 2018 to hopefully help turn out. And the DNC has been involved in those races, too, with money, maybe... The most notable was the uh, the forty fifth state senate district in Washington State, mm-hmm. which put that state senate in Democratic hands, mm-hmm. creating the famous blue wall now mm-hmm. down the uh, d- down the west coast. But yeah, it's not twenty eighteen, but it does mm-hmm. kind of provide yeah. a little momentum. Kevin, would yeah, you say it, for it definitely does? And you know, we we're saying these were low turnout specials. The Virginia governor's race, which Ralph Northam won by ten. Um, was very high turnout. Um, yeah. The less we actually Dude. got more votes than Terry McAuliffe did when McAuliffe won four years ago. So yeah. that turnout really spiked there. That's partially Virginia just had some natural population growth. That's part of the reason why it but spiked. Also, there but was it was a, a lot of turnout. Huge, I, right. I mean, the, the Democrats that I talked to, including um, um, Don Beyer and, mm-hmm. and, and other representatives, said that, that the, the numbers that they were showing were that they had more people on the mm-hmm. ground, more doors knocked, more phone calls yeah. made, whatever, than ever before. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Northam campaign knocked on more, or I shouldn't say the Northam campaign, the yeah. sort of the Virginia Democratic coordinated yeah. Yeah. campaign, yeah. Right. knocked on more doors than Hillary Clinton's campaign did the previous year. 
um, and I believe had more volunteers, which okay. the number of volunteers they had was, I believe, twice the number of Terry McAuliffe had. All right. You know, I've lost, I lost sight of it for the last few days. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the House of Delegates, mm-hmm. is it 50-50 now? What's the current count? Are there still, are there still seats undecided? I, I believe there are still seats undecided. I think the current count sort of depends on whether you ask a Democrat or a Republican. Okay. Um, it's very close to 50-50. Um, there is now talk. Um, there is sort of a moderate Republican who it looks like may sort of end up emerging as sort of a consensus speaker, and there would be some sort of power sharing arrangement. Uh, there are some stories in the Richmond Times Dispatch about that. Um, but yeah, regardless, this is way bigger gains that they got than anyone thought. Yeah. Uh, when I was talking to people in sort of the run up to the election, Republicans thought they could limit the Democratic gains to as few as four. Democrats were hoping to get maybe eight. They thought mm-hmm. they would be yeah. great if they yeah. could get 10. Yeah. And right now they've gotten sort of at least a dozen, if not more than that. Yeah, I think 15 that were, were yeah. pretty certified, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, talk about a sea change from a, right. a, a house that was, I think it was 3268 or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, before. and was gerrymandered for Republicans too. Right, right. Well, and that's what's so uh, heartening, I think, for Democrats picking up these state legislature seats is that when redistricting comes along again, they will hopefully have more control um, and then flip it to their advantage. Right. So if Al Franken's uh, presidential campaign t- came to a skid yesterday, um, Terry McAuliffe's presidential campaign sort of took off on uh, Election Day in Virginia. Yeah, it did. And because, look, the I mean, losing... He can, he can brag about it. I mean, yeah, he, he, can, he can definitely brag about it. And look, the one thing that I think McAuliffe has shown is he's shown an ability to help his allies win elections. Um, one thing that got very little attention in 2016, McAuliffe's protege, a guy named LeVar Stoney, uh, won the the mayor's race in Richmond when he would, had been trailing pretty badly in the polls hmm. even a week or two before. And McAuliffe really put some money and help in there and help push Stoney over the edge. And so he's basically shown, like, look, at the very least, Terry McAuliffe can win elections. Um, and there's many other reasons, uh, particularly people in the Bernie wing might not like Terry McAuliffe, uh, his involvement with all sorts of things with the Clintons primarily. Yeah. But look, McAuliffe was out there the night uh, Northam won, giving interviews, saying, look, part of the reason Northam won is because there's nothing in my record Gillespie could attack me on. And Gillespie did try to make these attacks, basically saying, like, oh, the economy stalled under McAuliffe. And these those attacks didn't work, just sort of well, bounced because off. because they weren't true. And then he sort of moved on to the MS-13 attacks and some of the other stuff that got more attention. But initially, uh, Gillespie pretty much tried to run against McAuliffe, and it just it didn't work. Right. Uh, now, with all this good news for Democrats, Alexi, you've been writing about bad news for Democrats. <laughs> um uh, you say they've got a age problem. An age problem. Are you an ageist? <laughs> you know, I uh, I talked about this idea. So, what with do you mean by Jim. this? Well, first of all, so um, this is more. So, this piece, yes, does look ageist, but it is reflective <laughs> of the fact that a lot of Democrats in leadership are, you know, pretty old. They're nearing their 80s. The top three House Democrats in leadership are all nearly 80 years old, which certainly so suggests that they have experience. Pelosi. Um, Steny Hoyer and James Clyburn. Right, exactly. Um, And certainly suggests that they have experience, which they do. Um, They have expressed that they're unwilling to give up their seats and they want to continue leading the Democratic Party. But we've seen younger Democrats, House Democrats, calling for Pelosi to step aside for a new generation of leadership, as they've called it. Uh, Linda Sanchez said that. We've seen folks like Kevin DeLeon in California challenging Dianne Feinstein, who is, you know, also nearing 80. No, Um, 84. 
Oh, 84. Right, right. Mm-hmm. She, so she's, you know, I think the oldest mm-hmm. Democratic senator. Um, senator. And so they are, we see these younger folks, um, voters, uh, lawmakers alike, who are calling for a new generation of leaders. And, and I think that's reflective of what we were just talking about, these younger sort of progressive candidates getting uh, elected all over the country at different levels. But Kevin, also on the presidential level, let, mm-hmm. let's take this a step farther. The three leading candidates uh, now, I mm-hmm. guess, are Bernie about. Sanders and Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. Bernie's yeah. 75 now, I believe. Elizabeth Warren is 70 or close to, mm-hmm. I mean. I think Warren's a bit younger than the other two. Uh, Joe yeah. Biden's uh, early 70s, whatever, yeah. and, and Warren, but she's yeah, roughly she's, 70. Yeah, right? she's, not, she's not young. So uh, is that still an issue? At one time it certainly would have been an issue, but didn't. Bernie kind of destroy the age. I think argument. Bernie and Donald Trump is seventy. Uh, by I think. Right. Um, Hello. So yeah. I think it is perhaps less of an issue. Um, that said, if you're a Democrat, you might also want to make almost an age-based argument against Trump and say, like, we're of a new generation. That's hard to do with Bernie. But that said, right. Bernie also. It was uh, when Bernie first ran. I remember. Um, there was a joke that his supporters were all mostly old. It was all these people who would comment on all his Facebook posts. Yeah. And you'd look, and it would just be all these sort of retiree, like liberal yeah. retirees. Right. And then he ended up getting every college kid in America to support him. <laughs> so it does show that like there, this attack isn't, or this isn't as big a problem as it may once have been, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem, particularly because these things can escalate very quickly if one of them gets sick or something along those lines, particularly if they're the nominee. So that it's it's not an immediate problem, but it's something that can become a problem. And on the House level, like she said, it's it's a problem just because the younger House Democrats are getting restless. Right. And, yeah. you know, it makes yeah. the House not a good place to serve if you don't have right. any chance to move on. In a sense, it's a reflection of the country in the sense that people are living longer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. People are working longer, working longer yeah. right. and uh, and uh, living more active lives mm. and continuing to have positions of responsibility mm-hmm. later in life too. Right. Um, but at, but you're right. The problem is that you you don't you don't build a bench that way, mm-hmm. right? Or and you don't provide any openings for people to move up. Mm-hmm. And there's right. a lot of bottled up frustration. I can tell you a lot of bottled up frustration. In the House, mm-hmm. in in state politics around the country. Yeah, right. I mean, one great example of this is Chris Van Hollen, who for years had been talked about as a future Speaker of the House of Representatives. Yeah, yeah. basically just said, you know, when uh, Barbara McCulsey retired, he went 